I want to begin this message by going to Genesis chapter 1. I was planning on continuing the series of messages that we had been preaching about, and I decided to do so next week. So we will continue on 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 next Sabbath day. I want to deal with a subject today that is somewhat doctrinal. Sometimes people think that things such as doctrine do not make a difference. If you notice in the Christian bookstore, the most sought-after category of books is Christian living. In other words, things that deal with uh, child training, marriage, family, things that deal with how to have hope, how to have peace, things like this. All this is great, and it's wonderful. But we do not need to only or solely concentrate on Christian living. That's definitely a major part of life. But sometimes we have to dig deep and get into the nitty-gritty things and get our hands a little dirty with something called doctrine. I've heard stories about people talking about how doctrine really doesn't make a difference or, you know, you don't really want to go to that church because they talk a lot about doctrine. We don't want to get too much into doctrine. Apostle Paul wrote to young Timothy, a pastor at the time, in training, that Timothy was to take heed unto his self and to his doctrine. For in doing so, he would save himself and those that heard him. And so Paul tells him, listen, Timothy, you take heed to your doctrine. And that's just a fancy word for teachings and instructions. In other words, we get into the Bible verses and sometimes we look at the original meanings of words. We look at the original context in which certain letters or certain verses or certain chapters were written. And we begin to receive teaching, whether from the Holy Spirit, whether from the minister, whether from our, our friend or a family member. But we begin to receive this teaching or this doctrine and it makes a difference. It's not only how you live that makes a difference, but there are some things that you have to believe that makes a difference. In other words, there's things in this life, in the Christian life, in the Messianic way, that we don't necessarily put to practice with our hands or with our actions, but we simply believe them in our mind and we believe them in our heart. They're just a belief for us, but it makes a difference. For instance, let me give an example that most everyone will agree with, or everyone in here will agree with, and a lot of people in the world will even agree with. It makes a difference whether or not you believe in a creator. It does. You know, you can't make it to the kingdom of heaven if you don't believe in the one that created everything that we see. All the trees, the moon, the sun, the stars, the heavens and the earth. If you don't believe in the creator of this planet and of all planets and, and everything in this universe, you can't make it to the kingdom of heaven if you don't believe in Him. But notice that belief in a Creator is not something that you necessarily put to practice. Now, obviously, it does determine the way that you live. But it's something that first and foremost you just believe in your mind and in your heart. You believe that there is a Creator that exists. And it places within you a biblical or a scriptural worldview. I heard somebody one time say, you know, I don't really like to go to church because churches are full of hypocrites. Well, this person wasn't a, a Bible believer. And the question to ask this person is not to get into discussion with them about hypocrisy, but we need to ask this person, well, what's wrong with hypocrisy? See, they don't have a biblical worldview. So in their worldview, hypocrisy is not wrong. 
the only worldview that hypocrisy fits into in the right way is the biblical or the Christian worldview or other religious worldviews it would fit into. But if you don't believe in the Bible, then how in the world do you know hypocrisy is wrong? See, only with the biblical worldview is hypocrisy a sin. And so somebody that's an atheist or an agnostic has no business talking about a hypocrite. Because to them, a hypocrite, is there's nothing wrong with it. It's just like for people that don't believe in a God. Well, if they don't believe in a God, then there's no standard of what's right and what's wrong. I've talked with atheists before and witnessed to atheists and asked them questions about things like murder. Do they believe that it's wrong to murder? Well, absolutely. That's the answer that is usually given. But then I asked them, why do you believe it's wrong to murder? What are you basing that upon? They said, well, it's doing wrong to your fellow man. I said, well, how do you know? That it's doing wrong to your fellow man. How do you know that it's wrong? Well, I feel it in my heart. Why do you feel it in your heart? And it all goes back to that the Bible is accurate. The Bible is true. There really is a Creator. And He's placed it within His people Israel in their hearts and in their minds that the law of Yahweh is perfect and it truly does convert the soul. And so there are things that we have to believe, such as the belief in a Creator, such as the belief in His Son, His only begotten Son, John 3.16. We have to believe in the Messiah. You know, we have to keep the commandments. We have to believe that we have to keep the commandments. These things are essential. And so doctrine does make a difference. Doctrine is important. The doctrine or the teaching that I want to talk about today is in reference to Yahweh's calendar. Now, I wrote an article back in 2004 when I got into a discussion on the Internet with a group of individuals that believed that Yahweh's calendar was strictly determined by the sun. And the moon had absolutely nothing to do with the calendar. Now you may be thinking, Yahweh's calendar? This subject, is this subject really even in the Bible? You know, when you mention Yahweh's calendar to people and that Yahweh has a specific way of keeping time, generally you might be accused of something that you wouldn't want to be accused of. I had one woman when I quoted her Genesis 1, 14-18, which passage we'll go to here in a second, she said, well, that sounds like astrology to me. Now, this woman claimed to be a seminary student, that she went to Bible college and she was learning the Scriptures and learning the Hebrew and the Greek and things like this. And when I quoted a passage of Scripture to her that spoke about the sun and the moon and the stars, she said that it sounded like astrology to her. I said, well, I'm definitely not a follower of astrology. I don't believe in the zodiac signs like you would maybe see in the newspaper. I don't have a problem with the constellations because they're created by Almighty Yahweh. Now what man does with those constellations, that's another matter. If he wants to take that pure creation of Yahweh and abuse it, then that's his business. But it doesn't do away with the pure creation of Almighty Yahweh. Likewise, there are people throughout antiquity, throughout history, that have worshipped the heavenly bodies. The sun, the moon, and the stars. They've worshipped them. They've bowed down to them as gods. The scriptures clearly prohibit that in a passage like Deuteronomy 4. In that chapter, it prohibits the worship or the adoration or prostration to the heavenly host, the heavenly bodies. So I don't believe in any of that. But that doesn't mean that the sun or the moon or the stars is evil in and of themselves. People have abused the creations of Yahweh, much like people abuse many things in life. But that doesn't mean that Yahweh's creation isn't pure and isn't holy. 
one of the things that these solar-only calendar people say at the beginning is that we don't go by the moon for Yahweh's calendar because there's a lot of people that worship the moon. For instance, the witches, they pay regards. They watch for the full moons and things like this. Listen, I don't care what the witches do. <laughs> that doesn't have any bearing on what I believe. Genesis 1, 14 through 18 still says the exact same thing it said when it was first penned by, I believe, the prophet Moses. Genesis chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be... <clears throat> For lights in the firmament of the heaven, to give light upon the earth, and it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth, and to rule over the day and over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Now, that's very plain, very simple. I want to center in on verse 14, where it speaks of these lights in the firmament of the heaven. And God says, let them be for signs, seasons, days, and years. Now, the word seasons here is the Hebrew word moedim, and it means appointed times. And clearly, when we track this Hebrew word throughout Scripture, this moedim word or this seasons word, I believe that it does include the seasons as we would think of them in the English language. But not only does it include these seasons, summer, winter, fall, spring, but it also includes the appointed times of Yahweh, for instance, mentioned in Leviticus chapter 23. In Leviticus 23, this same Hebrew word, Moedim, translated here as seasons, is translated as feasts, all through Leviticus 23. These are my feasts. These are the appointed times that I want you to come and worship before me. These are the times when I want you to get together with the brethren. These are my appointed times. I'm not saying we can't get together any, any time, but specifically on these times, these are commanded. These are appointed. These are the seasons that Yahweh would have us to meet with Him on. But not only is this religious, this is also simply for Yahweh's calendrical measurements, His calendar purposes, days, and years are mentioned here in verse 14. And so Yahweh made these great lights, and He set them up in the heavens to divide the day from the night. They were to be for signs, for appointed times, for days, and for years. They were also to be for months. Psalm 104.19 would show that. Before I get too far ahead of myself, I want to go over five proofs from the Scriptures in this message why Yahweh's calendar is a solar lunar calendar. It takes both of the heavenly bodies to make up Yahweh's calendar. It would be just as wrong for me to try to present a lunar-only calendar as, as it would be for someone to present a solar-only calendar. There are people that present a calendar that only uses the sun, and there are people that present one that only uses the moon. Both of them are incorrect because Yahweh's Word plainly teaches that both the sun and the moon, and even to some extent the stars, and I haven't completely figured all that out yet, but I don't want to throw them out of the equation, but the sun and the moon for sure are part of Yahweh's calendar and His timepieces.
Notice in Genesis 1, this is proof number 1. In Genesis 1, 14 through 16, we're told that Yahweh made two great lights. Then he calls one the greater and one the lesser. Now, he doesn't mention what these two lights are. He doesn't mention the word sun here in this passage, nor does he mention the word moon. But I think that when we just read that, that was probably and most likely the two lights that came into your mind along with the stars which are specifically mentioned in that passage. But we don't just have Genesis 1 to go on. We have other places in the Bible that teach us that the sun and the moon is what is being spoken about in this Genesis passage. For instance, let's look at Jeremiah. Or before we go to Jeremiah, let's look at um, Psalms. The book of Psalms, we're going to go to Psalm 136. Psalm 136, verses 7 through 9. Psalm 136, verse 7 through 9. The Bible says, To him that made great lights, for his mercy endureth forever. The sun to rule by day, for his mercy endureth forever. The moon and stars to rule by night, for his mercy endureth forever. Notice the mentioning here again of the great lights. And then he mentions not just the stars as he did specifically in Genesis 1, but he mentions the sun as being the ruler of the day, the moon as being the ruler of the night. Obviously, then, Genesis 1 is speaking about the sun and the moon as well as the stars. Look also at Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah's a little bit after here, after the book of Psalms here. Jeremiah 31, verse 35. Probably going to move kind of quickly here. I've got uh, several scriptures to cover. Jeremiah 31, verse 35. Thus saith Yahweh, which giveth the sun for a light by day, and the ordinances of the moon and of the stars for a light by night, which divideth the sea when the waves thereof roar, Yahweh of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, saith Yahweh, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. Notice again, the sun is given for a light by day, and what's mentioned for a light by night, the moon and the stars. And so clearly here we have a threefold witness. And the Bible says a threefold cord is not easily broken. We have a threefold witness here that the lights in Genesis 1 are the sun and the moon along with the stars. So obviously then when he said let them be in Genesis 1.14, he was talking about both the sun and the moon. I couldn't do away with the moon, nor could I do away with the sun. The sun has an intrinsic part in Yahweh's calendar. And so, any other calendar that only uses the sun or only uses the moon, any of, any calendar like that, even though it's using part of what Yahweh has created, it still has another part that is nothing more than a man-made calendar. That's all that it is. If you don't use the one that Yahweh ordained in the beginning then obviously you're using one that is concocted or thought up by man. And none of them will work properly. Proof number two, that Yahweh's calendar is solar and lunar. The word that is translated month, most commonly in the Old Testament, is the Hebrew word hodesh. And this word is defined by Hebrew lexicons as follows. <clears throat> Strong's exhaustive concordance defines the word hodesh as, quote, the new moon, by implication, a month. 
Brown, Drivers, and Briggs defines it as the new moon, month, monthly, the first day of the month, the lunar month. Every time, or just about every time, you see the word month in the Bible, it is the word Chodesh. And it literally means the moon. Brother Tim Welton likes to say the month. <laughs> so instead of the month. And that's fine. Every time you see where it says the 17th day of the month, or it was the 24th day of the month, what it's saying in Scripture is, and it was the 24th day of the moon. It was the 17th day of the moon. And this is why Yahweh has caused this moon in the sky to appear as though it changes shapes every night because the light of the sun is different in its reflection on the light of the moon each night of the month or of the month, we could say. Yahweh didn't just make that happen for no reason. Listen, the heavens declare the glory of Yahweh. Day unto day they utter speech. And night unto night they showeth forth knowledge. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of the days of the month. And many more things as well. But specifically in this message, we're centering on Yahweh's calendar. And so every time we see this word month, it means the moon. All right, so obviously then the moon would have to be part of Yahweh's calendar. <clears throat> also, turn to 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8. When I was discussing this back in 2004, I ran across the objection that, well, the word Kodesh really doesn't have anything to do with the moon. It's just a word that means month. And a solar month is being talked about. Well, you know, anybody can say anything. But when you look at all the Hebrew lexicons, all the scholars will tell you that this word goes back to a relation with the heavenly body known as the moon. But not only do we have the scholars telling us this, we have scripture that is clear about this. I want you to notice 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 2. The Bible says, And all the men of Israel assembled themselves unto the king Solomon at the feast in the month Ephanim, which is the seventh month. Now you say, well, Brother Matthew, how in the world does that prove anything? Well, we have here two words, month. Two times the word month is used. If you just read an English translation, you would not know that these two words are two different Hebrew words. Now, we know the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, were written in Hebrew. They weren't written in English. And so when we look at the Hebrew here of 1 Kings 8, verse 2, we see that these words, month, while the same in English, are different in Hebrew. What's the significance here, Brother Matthew, you say? Well, the second word, month, in this passage is the word, Hodesh, the one that we've dealt with. Do you know what the first word in this passage is? It's the Hebrew word, I can, if I can remember, there's two variations. It's the Hebrew word Yerach. Now, this word Yerach specifically means the moon. The moon itself. The orb. The body. Okay? The word Kodesh has to do with month or days in the month. This word Yerach specifically is dealing with that heavenly body. As a matter of fact, it's translated moon in Deuteronomy 33.14 where it talks about the precious things put forth by the moon. And then in Isaiah 60, verse 20, it's also translated as moon as well, speaking of the orb. And so here, the word Yerach 
the Hebrew word for the moon itself, the orb, is used interchangeably with the word chodesh, the Hebrew word for month. And so literally, when we're saying the 17th day of the month, not only are we saying the 17th day of the chodesh, but we're also saying the 17th day of the yerach, or of the moon, the orb, the heavenly body. And there's other examples of this. I'm just going to give that one. But clearly here, the word chodesh has lunar applications. Okay? And so that's a second proof that Yahweh's calendar is not only solar, but it's also lunar. Now, I do believe that the sun has a part to do with it. That's not the point in this message, but I'll get to that briefly in a second. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 81. Psalm chapter 81, verses 1 through 3. Now, I'm reading this out of the King James Version Bible. Hopefully, there's a few of you scattered throughout that may have a different version. I'll quote, quote another version if you do not have it. But in Psalm 81, verse 1, it says, Sing aloud unto God our strength. Make a joyful noise unto the God of Jacob. Take a psalm and bring hither the timbrel, the pleasant harp with the psaltery. Blow up the trumpet in the new moon in the time appointed on our solemn feast day. For this was a statute for Israel and a law of the God of Jacob. This he ordained in Joseph for a testimony when he went out through the land of Egypt where I heard a language that I understood not. I removed his shoulder from the burden. His hands were delivered from the pots. Look back at verse 3. You see the words where it says, in the time appointed? Now, Many translations, including the 1901 American Standard Version of the Bible, translate this word as at the full moon. And the reason that they do this is because the Hebrew word keseh means the fullness of the moon. So here we have Psalm 81 verse 3, not only speaking of the new moon or the chodesh here, but we also have the passage speaking of the keseh or the full moon, the fullness of the moon. Now he says, blow the trumpet at the full moon. Now what in the world are you blowing a trumpet at the full moon for if the full moon doesn't have anything to do with Yahweh's calendar? Obviously then it would have something to do with Yahweh's calendar. And when you study the scriptures out, the full moon is on the 15th day of each Chodesh. And that's what this passage is talking about. We just read here in verses 5 through 6 where he spoke of removing Israel from the burdens and removing the shoulders from the burdens and the hands from the pots. In other words, he rescued them from bondage. What bondage do you think this is referring to? The bondage of Egypt. Israel was in bondage to the Egyptians. And he removed their shoulders from the burdens. Their hands were freed from the the pots or the baskets. They didn't have to work for the Egyptians anymore. You know what day they they were released from Egypt on? The 15th day of the month. Numbers 33, verse 3. That's when they were released and thrust out of the land of Egypt. Thus, the 15th day of Numbers 33 and the full moon of Psalm 81, they're synonymous. They're one and the same. So obviously, the moon has to be a part of Yahweh's calendar or else, what in the world are we doing blowing the trumpet at the full moon on our solemn feast day? The word feast day here is the word in Hebrew, Chag, which means a pilgrim festival. When I say pilgrim festival, I mean there were three specific festivals in Israel where you would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. You would travel to Jerusalem to observe that feast. They were the Feast of Passover, 
slash unleavened bread, the Feast of Pentecost, or weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles, or ingathering. These were three pilgrimage feasts. This is what this passage is referring to, to the two pilgrim feasts, Passover and Tabernacles, that begin on the 15th day of the first and the seventh month. So that's proof number three. Proof number four. It is extremely simple and easy to show that ancient Israel had a festival on the first day of the scriptural month. And the festival was known as the New Moon Festival. As a matter of fact, we're having one right now. This is the third new moon on Yahweh's calendar. Okay? It's very easy to show this in the Bible. I've talked with people before about this, and they said, well, what are you doing off on this day? I said, well, we're keeping the New Moon Festival. Well, they look at me and they say, you know, I just don't know about that, Matthew. <laughs> And I said, well, have you ever read, read the Bible where the Bible talks about the New Moon Festival? And it's as though people don't really recognize that it's all through sacred, holy Scripture. It's not something that Brother Matthew just thought up last night in his bedroom. It's something that's all throughout the Bible. All throughout the Bible. I won't turn to all these. I want you to listen to them. Ezekiel 46, verse 1. Thus saith the Master Yahweh, the gate of the inner court that looketh toward the east shall be shut the six working days, but on the Sabbath it shall be opened, and in the day of the new moon it shall be opened. Ezekiel 46 and verse 3 says that the people of the land will come and worship before Yahweh at this gate on the Sabbaths, and not just on the Sabbaths, also on the new moons. And it's separating the new moons and the Sabbaths from the six working days. There was a new moon festival in Israel. Isaiah 66 verse 23. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another, shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith Yahweh. You tell somebody about the Sabbath today, they'll understand that. And they may not understand why you're keeping it on a Tuesday or a Wednesday, but they'll understand what the Sabbath is, because Judaism, you know, regards Saturday as the Sabbath. So you tell people, well, I don't work on the Sabbath. But this doesn't just say Sabbath, this says from one new moon. To another. Notice it's not just talking about one new moon of the year, but it's talking about all of them. From one to another. Just like from one Sabbath to the next Sabbath, to another Sabbath. Amos 8, verses 4 through 5. One of my favorite passages. I don't have time to get in the context here. I'll just read it. Hear this, O ye that swallow up the needy, even to make the poor of the land to fail, saying, When will the new moon be gone that we may sell corn, and the Sabbath that we may set forth wheat, making the ephah small? And the shekel great, and falsifying the balances by deceit. I mean, will you get me a glass of water, please? A cup of water. Amos 8, 4 through 5. What this passage teaches is that there were some greedy traders of the land. And I don't have a whole lot of time to get into this. I've went into it on other messages. And they were wanting so bad to sell their wares to the, these Israelites on the new moon. But guess what? They couldn't. And you know why? Because the Israelites didn't buy them on the new moon. That's why. See, the new moon wasn't just... a non-working day, it was also a day of no buying and selling. According to Amos 8, verses 4 through 5. It is a sin to buy and sell on the new moon. Okay? Amos 8 would prove that. Second Kings 4.23, quote, And he said, Wherefore wilt thou go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, It shall be well. End of quote. This passage is about a man that was working out there in the field and his son hurt his head, and, um, oh man, I can't remember the story. 
The mother went to load him up to go see the prophet. Something like that. Boy, it just slipped my mind. Anyhow, the main thing was, she was going to see the prophet. And it was, was it her husband that asked her? Her husband asked her, why are you going to see the prophet today? It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. Now, what does that sound like to you? That sounds like, usually, on, it, you went to see the prophets on the new moons and the Sabbaths. They were special days to go visit the prophets. The gates were open. They were different days than the six working days. Ancient Israel kept the festival on the first day of every month. And the new moon is the first day of each scriptural month. Like I said, that's what we're doing right now. This is the new moon time. Even in Colossians 2, in the New Testament, not just in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, Paul writes to the assembly at Corinth and says, Let no man judge you in regards to eating and drinking, or in respect of an holy day, a Sabbath, or a new moon. And what he's telling you is this. He says, don't listen, don't let these people outside of the body of the Messiah try to tell you how to observe these days. They don't know anything about these days. They might end up telling you to do something unscriptural. Whether they're Judaizers, whether they're Gnostics that were around in the first century, doesn't matter. These things are to remain within the body of the Messiah. They're to be the judge of how things are to go on and how things are to take place on these days. So even in the New Testament, the New Testament church was still observing the New Moon Festival. Colossians 2, 14-16. The last proof I'm going to get into, I've got three more proofs. I'm only going to go here to proof 5. Well, I say I'm going to go to proof 5, but I've already went to it. It's Colossians chapter 2. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath. This word new moon here in the Greek is the word pneumania. It's defined by Strong's as the festival of the new moon. The word pneumania is used in the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint. In passages such as Numbers 10, verse 10, where he tells you to blow the silver trumpets at the new moon. And in 1 Samuel 20, in reference to the new moon festival, the special gathering and dinner that David was having, or excuse me, that David was missing from because of a particular reason um, on the new moon festival. And so ancient Israel definitely had a festival of the new moon. Now all of this proves that the Bible teaches that the moon is part of Yahweh's calendar. But the reason that I'm bringing this out is specifically because there are some that teach a solar-only calendar. And it's not correct. It's not right. But in teaching today that the moon is part of Yahweh's calendar, I do not, I repeat, I do not teach this to dismiss the sun from Yahweh's calendar, the S-U-N, sun, from Yahweh's calendar. The sun and the moon work in harmony. In Scripture, the sun and the moon are sometimes typified as husband and wife. Remember the story of Joseph where Joseph said he had a dream that the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to him? The eleven stars represented his brothers, the sun represented his father, and the moon represented his mother. So just as a husband and a wife work in harmony, or are supposed to work in harmony here on earth, so also... That typification there of the sun and the moon, they work in harmony together to give Yahweh's calendar here to His people. And so while the moon tells us what day of the month it is, we look up in the sky and we see that it has different shapes each night. Thank you, honey. Thank you. We see that it can have different shapes each night. We see, see it going through these phases and it's beautiful and it's wonderful when you begin to watch it. It's Yahweh's creation. 
The sun tells us when the days begin, when the days end, by the going down of the sun. The sun goes down, it becomes, becomes dark. The sun tells us what time of the day it is. You ever thought about how they knew when the hours were in the Bible, the ninth hour? That was sold by a sundial. People didn't have a Rolex to look at. They told it by the way that the sun spanned the sky. Twelve o'clock noon to us is not necessarily twelve o'clock noon scripturally. Twelve o'clock noon in the, in the scriptures would be in the middle of the day when the sun is completely directly overhead. So the sun definitely plays its part. But so also does the moon. The sun tells us when the beginnings of the years are by the spring turning of the sun. As we know it in our language is the spring equinox. We would never know when the beginning of Yahweh's year was if it wasn't for the sun making another revolution of 365 and a quarter days around and marking the beginning of the year. And then we know what new moon to take for the month of Abib, the first month on Yahweh's calendar. And so they work in harmony, not in disunity, but in harmony together. Yahweh's calendar is a solar lunar calendar. Let us never try to make it a lunar only or a solar only. But let us believe Yahweh's inspired word, even on a subject that many people in religion today would think is very, or I should say not very important. I would say that it's definitely important. It's Yahweh's creation. He mentions it in the book of origins, in the book of beginnings. Before sin ever entered in. You know, we see things that are instituted here before sin enters in mankind. We see marriage instituted before sin enters in. We see the Sabbath instituted before sin enters in. We see the calendar instituted before sin enters in. This is Yahweh's perfect way. This is Yahweh's perfect way. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer. Yahweh, Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you, and we bless you. Father, thank you so much for your creation, Father Yahweh, your calendar, Father, that you've set in the heavens. We thank you for that, Father Yahweh, and we're, we're so unworthy, but Father, you've given us a way to know when we're to visit with you on special times and on special days, and we're so thankful for that. Father, let us never be afraid to get into doctrinal matters, into the nitty-gritty of your word at times. Father Yahweh, for when we dig for the gold nuggets, Father, we find them, and they're priceless, they're precious. Yahweh, Father, we thank you and we praise you. Let us go our way. Let us live for you. Yahweh, Father, this working day, week, Father, that approaches. Father, bring us back here next Sabbath to fellowship and visit with brethren and to glorify and praise your name. We thank you and we praise you. In Yeshua we pray. Amen.